I'm going to pray and open us up in our session, third session of Getting to the Heart of Parenting. Let's pray. Our Father in Heaven, we are so grateful that we can come before You as Your people, that we have been rescued from our sin and death, and that we have the hope of life with You. And even now we have this eternal life, and yet, God, we struggle. And parenting just reveals our continuing weakness and sin, our foolishness, and how we, we, we just continue to struggle with anger and selfishness and pride. And so we come to you again aware of our just continuing need for your gospel, for the forgiveness of our own sins, and for your grace and your power so that we can winsomely and model this for our children and also communicate it to them. We pray for your help with that, and we pray that you use this class to to continue in building us up as we seek to do that more faithfully. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, here we are, session three. We've spent the last two weeks, we're going through Paul Tripp's video, Getting to the Heart of Parenting. We've looked at what is the family. Just to recap a few of the main points, we saw that children, like you and like me, are worshipers by nature. They, have to, they will worship something. They're going to attach their affections, their desires, their, their delight in something. And that something will either be, like you and I, either the true God, the one who deserves our worship, and is worthy of our praise, or the idols of their own heart, their selfishness, their own desires, idols of the culture. They will not just remain neutral. They will become worshipers of something. And we also saw also that children are interpreters, that they're always interpreting the world around them. They're, they're making judgments about the world. They're always making judgments about the world. And, and so we saw that the family, in that, answering that question, what is the family? Paul Tripp made the case that the family is a primary learning community, that it's a place where we're teaching our children about God. So it's a theological community of, of teaching them who God is, what God is like, how we relate to God. Ultimately, coming back down to that first great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. That is our first purpose in the home, is to teach our children how, who God is and how to relate to God. But secondly, we saw that it was a, he called it a sociological community, if you remember from the, the, or if you have your notes there. And that really just comes in how we relate to one another. You know, love your neighbor as yourself, second great commandment. If you have children, um, you see there, you have plenty of opportunities to practice that command in the home. And that it's not just love your neighbor, you know, loving your neighbor isn't just a reciprocal kind of love, that you only love those who love you, that it's actually, the standard is a sacrificial love, a love that gives of yourself to others, even when they're not kind to you, when things are unfair, that we are called to love our neighbor, love our our siblings, our, our children as ourselves. And as we realize the purpose of the family then, that it has this high calling of both teaching our children who God is and how to relate to God and how to relate to one another in sacrificial love. Inevitably, if we're, doing, if we're holding that standard up, then we're going to realize that we, as well as our children, fall short of that standard. We're not going to have that kind of love in our hearts. We're going to be selfish. We're going to be proud. We're going to look out for number one, meaning ourselves. That's, we're, we're wired that way because of our indwelling sin. And so the family also provides an opportunity for the gospel to come in and speak in, in really powerful and fresh ways that we all need the gospel. We're going to fall short of God's calling for us 
in the home. And so those first two weeks, we really impressed, you know, Paul Tripp has impressed upon us that, you know, as parents, we really need to believe these things and um, take them to our own hearts if we're going to be able to teach them to our children. We need to love God and follow God and love His Word if we want our children to uh, love God. And we need to be selfless if we want our children to be selfless. If if we're selfish and looking out for ourselves, you know, just this morning, um, you know, your daughter come, my daughter, one of my daughters comes in, she needs help. I'm sitting there eating breakfast. I'm thinking, she, my other daughter's done with breakfast. She should be the one to help. And not me. You know, I, all that happens just time and time again, that we are oriented towards ourselves. And so if we as parents are going to be selfish, how are we going to teach our children to be selfless? So we need the gospel. These, we need these truths just as much as our children. So that's where we've been the last two weeks. Now we're going to transition these next two weeks into the topic being the heart is the target. We're going to dive into the difference between what comes from the heart and our behaviors. And really that our behaviors and our children's behaviors come from their heart. So just to open up some discussion points, what is the most frustrating aspect of needing to discipline your children, and how well do your children fess up to their own sin? What do you think helps them or hinders them in this? So, uh, what do you guys think? What is what, first? What is the most frustrating aspect of needing to discipline your children? Or maybe your children don't need any discipline. <laughs> Staying consistent. Staying consistent. Yeah, it's easy to discipline. You know, we're, we're focused, and then we're you know we're watching a movie, or like I don't really feel like discipline. I'm in a good book. Just here, go go deal with it yourselves. It's hard to be consistent, even you know when we feel like it, when we don't. What else? The repetition, just feeling like I just addressed this like half an hour ago. Like, why are we dealing with this again already? Right. I already said this. Didn't you get it the first time, or the second, or the third, or the seventeenth? <laughs> yeah. Anything else? What else is frustrating? I'd say kind of like on that same note, like just having an understanding whether or not they really get what you're punishing them for or disciplining them for, you know, um, being able to communicate to them what the problem is. Yeah. I uh, find it, I don't enjoy disciplining. All right. So, um, and, uh, it, it, and then I get frustrated kind of with myself a little bit that, uh, like I sometimes disappointed in anger and I, yeah. man, that was not one way to go about it and I don't know how to do this right and I'm insufficient for this and, you know, and ultimately I get driven back to throwing myself on the mercy of God but, um, you know, and I need discipline. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, no, I can relate, Ray. I mean, there's times where I'm like, I'm not going to be harsh with my daughter. I'm not going to be harsh with my daughter and then something goes wrong I'm like, what? How could you do that? I'm like... It's frustrating when it just reveals my own um, short temper, my own impatience, my own selfishness, my anger. I mean, I don't think of myself typically as an angry person, but um, parent, yeah, parenting reveals my own anger, so that's frustrating. How about how, how well do your children um, confess to their own sin? Uh, you know, what, how many of you have ever confronted a child and they immediately just, you know, uh, admit their sinfulness? Um, I mean, maybe occasionally if they really have a tender heart, um, but the, the default mode is usually what? That sister that you made for me. <laughs> <laughs> right. She did it. It's not fair. How much did she get? How much did he get? Why, he, he pushed me. 
what do you think helps them or, or hinders them from confessing their sin? Your reaction, your typical reaction. Right, right. Yeah, if you're if you're pounding on them and you're angry, you're yelling. I mean, that's not going to soften their hearts to confess their sin. It's not a safe place. You know, they're going to either cower or they're going to inwardly, you know, raise their fist at you. But um, that certainly, our disposition really can hinder confession. Anything else? It helps if there's understanding that there's forgiveness on the other side of confession. Right. Easier for them to know they're not just going to get punished, but there's going to be reconciliation and forgiveness. Right. Yeah, the more we can build that pattern, I mean, we can demonstrate it in our own lives that just, you know, as all of us sin, the the thing that when we sin, we confess our sin and we, we are forgiven for our sin. That's. That's what Christians do. It's not Christians aren't perfect people. They aren't the ones who keep all the rules. They're the ones who recognize that when they don't keep the rules, they confess and they lean, They just lean on God's mercy. And, and hopefully we're showing that towards our children as well. We're reflecting that they're going to interpret the world and, and understand God through how we use our authority so we can hopefully use our authority in a way where they, they recognize that, that confession is a path to, to healing and, and life. And like I said, I think even, I know this is something I've struggled with over the years, but I, sometimes I've done it well and sometimes I've done it poorly. But, um, you know, confessing your own sin. You're going to sin against your children at times, and as they get older and as, um, you know, that happens, you know, being quick to, to confess your own sin, to model that for them, I think helps them see that that's, this isn't just you on against them. We're all in the same boat together. Any other thoughts? I'm going to pull up the video, but anyone else want to add anything? I think sometimes we, um, like if a child holds the thought or the idea of being perfect, like really high, they don't want to admit that they're not perfect. Right. Let's dive in. So what is the target you're aiming for? What is parenting all about anyway? We'd like you to turn in your Bibles to Luke 6. Luke 6, and I'm going to be reading 43 through 45. This is, I think, one of the more important physical illustrations that Christ gives. In fact, I think what Jesus says in this passage is so important, so radical, so significant, that if you get it, it will forever change what you think about parenting. How's that for an introduction? It really is that kind of passage. For no tree bears bad fruit, good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, 
out of his evil treasure produces evil, for out of the abundance of his heart his mouth speaks. Here's what Jesus says, is that the heart is the source of everything you think, say, desire, and do. That human beings, look up here, live out of the heart. Now what this means is the actions, reactions, responses, behavior, words of your children are more caused by what's inside of them than what's outside of them. So the Bible assigns all of these significant functions to the heart. Maybe this picture helps. That all the things that you say and do are really the result of the heart overflowing. Now, before we go any further, I want to define the language for you so you make sure you understand what the Bible is talking about. The Bible essentially divides the human being into two pieces, your outer man and your inner man. Your outer man is your physical self. It's your body. Your body is the house that God has designed for your heart while you're here on earth. You could literally, properly, biblically call your body your earth suit. Just like an astronaut wears a space suit. This is our earth suit. Someday we're going to get a new suit. Some of us are excited about that. And then there's a second piece that the Bible calls the inner man. And the Bible uses many words for the inner man. Mind, emotion, spirit, soul, will. And they're all collected in one big basket term, the term heart. That term is used in some 960 passages of Scripture. It's one of the most well-developed themes in all of the Bible. Now, when you read the word heart, get ready for this. This is the definition you should have in your brain. When you come across that word in Scripture, here's your definition. The causal core of your personhood. The heart is the causal core of your personhood. The heart is the direction system. The heart is the steering wheel. The heart is the ruler of words and behavior. That means what controls the heart will shape the behavior. Now Jesus ends with an interesting application. He says... It's out of the heart that the mouth speaks. Have you ever said to someone, ooh, I didn't mean to say that? What would be more biblical to say is please forgive me for saying what I meant. <laughs> because if it hadn't been in your heart, it wouldn't have come out of your sweet lips. Your words always reveal your heart because your words come out of your heart. Now, we don't want to believe that. I would imagine if somebody says to you, why are you so angry, I would imagine that next you don't talk about yourself. You talk about what's outside of you because you don't actually believe that your anger comes 
from within you because you think your behavior is more caused by what's outside of you than what's inside of you. Heresy, heresy, heresy. If you have a a husband and wife and they're in marriage counseling and you ask the wife what's wrong with her marriage, what do you think she's going to talk about? She's going to talk about her husband. And the husband's going to talk about his wife. Because this radical thing we find is hard to believe. My mom was a member of a Depression-era family of 10 brothers and sisters. What our culture would call a classic dysfunctional family. When this family reached adulthood, these children didn't like one another very much. But they were committed to family reunions. They were creepy gatherings. (laughs) Uh, They would rent a hall and they would gather like warring nation states and sit at separate tables and glare at one another. It was like a bad UN, or maybe like the real UN. And uh, the centerpiece of the day would be this uh, banquet table because everybody would bring their best dish. And then after the meal, there would be enough alcohol come out to float Georgia. And this thing would get wild. My mom and dad taught us how to work the tables and say hello to our aunts and uncles, and before this thing got too crazy, we would beat our retreat. Well, one Saturday, my mom got involved in an evangelistic encounter with one of her siblings and didn't realize that another one of her brothers, who was downstairs in the same room where my brother Mark and I were, had gotten very drunk, and he was saying sexually perverse things about women in the room. My mom discovered that. She ran downstairs. She grabbed my brother Mark and I, and she yanked us to the car. I remember it very well, because I don't think our feet touched the steps. (laughs) And before she drove away, she turned to us and she said, I want to say something about what just happened, and I don't want you ever to forget it. I obviously never have. She said these eloquent words. There's nothing that comes out of the mouth of a drunk that wasn't there in the first place. You see, the alcohol didn't create that sexual perversion. That man was actually thinking those thoughts in his sobriety. What the alcohol did was loosen the lips, and when the lips got loose, guess what? Out came the heart. Now, if this is true, and it is, you must not be content with regulating, managing, and controlling behavior. Because if all you do is regulate and control behavior, once that child exits your home and that system of control is no longer there, they have nothing. Every September, thousands of supposedly Christian young people go off to residential university and forsake the faith. I would propose to you they're not forsaking the faith. They never had it in the first place. You see, if the heart is the control system, if the heart really is the causal core of my personhood, then what I'm actually parenting is not behavior. I'm parenting the heart. 
Where change needs to take place is not first in behavior. Change needs to take place first in the heart. That's my job. That's my job. Now, Jesus uses a wonderful example here. It's the example of a tree, a fruit tree. Think about this example. It's really brilliant. What's the best way to recognize an apple tree? Apples, right? But think about this. When when you see apples on that tree, you instinctively know that that tree is appleistic all the way down to its roots, right? If it didn't have appleism in its roots, it wouldn't grow apple as fruit. And in Christ's illustration, the fruit is behavior and its consequences, and the roots are what's going on in the heart. You know that you will never plant Georgia peach pits and get apples. If you plant peach pits and get apples, run fast, run far, something has happened to the universe and it's not good. Now that's a very helpful illustration. But let's, let's work with it. Let's push it a little bit. Pretend with me that I have an apple tree in my backyard. And every year it grows twisted, pulpy, dry, brown, hard, inedible apples. And that happens year after year. It's very frustrating. Never get an edible apple. This tree grows organic hockey pucks. And Luella finally says to me, my dear wife, uh, Paul, it doesn't make any sense for us to have this apple tree and we can never eat the apples. Can't you do something about our apple tree? And I think and I ponder, I love this woman, I want to please her. And I say to her one Friday evening, I got a great idea, Saturday I'm going to fix our tree. Well, she's a little bit confused, but she's kind of excited. Saturday morning, she looks out the kitchen window into the backyard, and she sees me carrying these items. Pay careful attention here. I'm carrying a big, tall ladder. I'm carrying branch cutters, an industrial-grade pneumatic nail gun, and three bushels of red, delicious apples. And I get up on the ladder, and I very lovingly and carefully cut off all those organic hockey pucks, and I symmetrically nail three bushels of red delicious apples on that tree. From 75 yards, you would be viewing that tree, and you would say, this man must be the horticulturalist of the century. If you're my wife, what are you thinking? You're thinking, this is a big one. The doctor said he'd be this way if he lived. Now, what's going to happen to those apples? They're going to rot because they're not hooked to the life-giving resource of the tree. But parents, think even deeper with me. What kind of apples is that tree going to produce the next season? Organic hockey pucks. 
Because if season after season, that tree produces that kind of apple, there's something systemically wrong with the tree down to its roots. And if change doesn't take place there, change isn't going to take place in the fruit. Now check out what I'm about to say to you. I am persuaded that the vast majority of what we do in the name of Christian parenting is nothing more or less than apple nailing. It has no energy to get at the heart. If sin is bad, you better not do it. I can give you the three most frequently used apple nailing strategies. This is maybe dangerous to do, but I'll do it. Here's the first one, threat. You do not want to know what will happen if I have to come up those steps one more time. It'll be on the news. (laughs) Father disciplines children, pictures and details at 10. Now, Threat is not dealing with the heart. Threat is an attempt to get a change without dealing with the heart. And think about this. (laughs) The reason threat is attractive is that it's temporarily efficient. When you're way huger than your little child and you can loom over them with loud voice and bulging eyes, and red face, you are a threatening presence. But parents know this, there'll come a day when your children are not threatened by you at all. Some of you have teenagers right now, you're not, they're not a bit threatened by you. I have four children. My daughter is the shortest of our children, she's six foot one. And our children go up from there. So in the final stages of parenting, when our children are still at home, I was parenting like this, you know? (laughs) When your children are looking down at you like this saying, yeah, dad, you're not a very threatening presence. Second one, manipulation. Billy isn't getting along with his sister very well. So dad says to him, Billy, you know that mountain bike you've been looking at on that website? If you just get along with your sister for one month, four short weeks, that mountain bike will be yours. Billy has four of the most loving weeks of his life. He's amazingly solicitous of his sister. Dad, with feelings of victory, orders the bike, it gets delivered. Billy and dad assemble the bike. He hops off on it for his first ride, and 10 minutes later, he's running his sister over with it. There's been no change in Billy. Hear this. Billy was not nice to his sister because he loves his sister. Billy was nice to his sister because Billy loves Billy. There's been no change. He doesn't love love. He doesn't love what is good. He isn't committed to do what is right. He is selfish and full of self-love, and you have, you have paid him to be that way. And you're teaching, Billy, the perverse skill of moral economics. 
he will begin to do a cost-benefit analysis. Is the price you're paying me worth the cost that you're asking of me? Someday, Billy will negotiate with you. What's happened to us? Parents, hear me say this. That is neither Christian nor parenting. And the minute you remove the reward, that, children ha- that child has no moral commitment whatsoever. He couldn't care less what's right and wrong. He's after the stuff. And you remove the stuff and you watch how fast he throws out your rules. Because it's never been a heart commitment to the rules. What about guilt? Oh. Mom says to her children, I remember when your father was a happy man. (laughs) It was before we had children. I mean, the poor man... The poor man is beside himself. Uh, uh, today he, he called 18 times from work just wondering what horrible things you had done to one another during the day. He can barely concentrate on work and if he can't concentrate on work he can lose his job and if he loses his job what would happen to us? Look out the window as he slogs up the driveway tonight <laughs> wondering what he's going to have to deal with. Threat manipulation, guilt are your attempt to get changes in the heart of your child without dealing with the heart. Parents, hear this. If by your threat, if by your manipulation, if by your guilt, if by the volume of your voice and the force of your arguments you could change the character of your child, Jesus would have never had to come. The gospel we say we believe blows that stuff away. Now here's, here's what we're saying, that behind every behavior There are attitudes and desires of heart. You know that before you act lovingly towards someone, that love is first present in your heart. That's the way human beings uh, respond. Uh, The behavior of fighting has something behind it. The behavior of sharing has something behind it. And so if lasting change is going to take place, you have to have lasting change take place at the heart. Hear this biblical truth. Lasting change in a human being always travels through the pathway of the heart. Lasting change in a human being always travels through the pathway of the heart. Now here's apple nailing. 
What we're actually trying to do is we're trying by volume, by threat, by manipulation, by guilt, by whatever other tool we can use to somehow, someway get this child to change without dealing with the direction system, the heart. Because I think we don't actually want to take the time that is necessary to get at issues of the heart. We're, we're busy and we want change to be instantaneous and we want our conversation to be brief because we want to get back to what we're doing. And so what we're actually trying to do is we're trying to, to uh, fit $100 conversations into dime moments and when you do that, you tend to bark orders, you tend to announce punishments and walk away. Now, do your children need the exercise of authority? Absolutely. But we must not ask the law to do what only grace can accomplish. The law reveals sin. The law has some ability to restrain sin. But the law will never deliver you from sin. Rules will not change the heart of your child. That's the whole argument of Romans. The law does not have the ability to do that. And so we, we have to say that's, that's not enough. Yes, those rules are needed. Yes, the authority is needed, but it must be followed by getting at heart issues. There are a whole list of uh, heart issues that cause a child to be competitive and uh, fighting and uh, mean and selfish. There are a whole list of heart issues that cause a child to share and to give and to serve. You see, it's quite obvious the goal of parenting is change, right? That's your goal, is progressive, long-term change in your child. And so we got to ask, how, what, does, what does the Bible say about how change takes place? This is the only way change takes place. Let me go through these three words for you. First, confession. Confession is owning personal responsibility for my words and my behavior. Confession is owning responsibility for my words and my behavior without excuse or the blame of others. Confession is owning responsibility for my words and my behavior without excuse or blaming others. Now, here's the issue. Parents, please hear me. Your children cannot confess to that which they do not see. Your children cannot confess to that which they do not see. The Bible says, give you a passage, Hebrews 3, 12 and 13, that sin is deceitful. And guess who it deceives first? 
I have no problem seeing the sin of my wife and children. But I'm regularly surprised when mine is pointed out. You've got to get this. Parents, your children are spiritually blind. They do not see themselves with accuracy. Every sinner struggles with some degree of spiritual blindness. Let me crank this up even further for you. Unlike a physically blind person who knows that he's blind and does things to cope with his handicap, hear what I'm going to say, a spiritually blind person is blind to his blindness. And so your children actually think they have an accurate view of themselves. They actually think they're okay. And they actually believe that they know themselves way better than you do. They're not only blind, they're blind to their blindness. Now, now stay with me because I'm going to take you someplace here. So this child who's walking around thinking he has an accurate view of himself and thinking he's okay has you approach him. And you begin to get in his face and tell him how bad he is, okay? You're criticizing him for something. What's going on inside of him? What's his experience of that moment? His experience is of injustice. Because it seems like you're misjudging him. Because given his view of himself, what you're saying doesn't seem to be accurate at all. It seems mean. It seems unkind. It seems unloving. And so as he's listening to you, you're activating his inner lawyer and he's defending himself against you before he ever says his first word. It's a failed strategy. Quit lecturing your kids. Think about how Jesus taught. Jesus made very few of what we would call lectures. In fact, the teaching of Christ doesn't look anything like our modern sermons. It just doesn't. What did Jesus do? He told stories. He asked questions. Why? Because he said, I came to give sight to blind eyes. I get what's wrong with people. They're blind. All right. Let me ask you a few questions now. Um, so he talks a lot about how behavior comes out of the heart. You, quote, you use Luke 6, and I'm going to turn over um, to Mark 7 and read a few verses from there. But um, what does he mean when he says that behavior comes from the heart? What is meant by the heart as it's used in Luke 6? And then he said you know, it's over 900 other times in Scripture, this language of the heart. How did he define the heart? Common core of your person. The causal core of your personhood. Yeah, he called it the steering wheel. It's what, what's going to direct you to behave in a certain way. Mark 7, is, this is in the context of teaching about what makes someone unclean, but in Mark 7, 20 through 23, Jesus says this. He says, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual morality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within 
and they defile a person. So does, this, does that distinction make sense? And I mean, his, his argument is that uh, we really, a lot of what we do as parents is focused on fruit, and it doesn't really get to the heart. If this is true, if we, if we can follow this premise at least, that, that all of our actions come out of our heart, then it should be obvious, right, that our, we really need to be focused with, in parenting about addressing the behaviors of the heart. So he used the analogy of apple nailing to illustrate this somewhat comically. What is this the idea of apple nailing? Fruitless discipline methods. Fruitless discipline methods. Fruitless discipline methods, yeah. Um, yeah, we'll explain it a little bit. I mean, what are, what are we after if we're you know, nailing apples to a tree? In, in the case of our children, what are, what are, what's our goal, Phil? Then you're masking what's really there. You're trying to build, build a cover in a shroud or something that doesn't exist. Right. Asking, asking for outward behavior to demonstrate something that's not going on inside. Right. Yeah, you're seeking to gain the fruit of obedience, but without really dealing with where obedience comes from, without really dealing with the heart. So what are the ways that we do that in our families? He mentioned three, three um, methods of apple nailing. I don't know if any of those struck home. or. Guilt. Sorry, yep, guilt. Threat, manipulation. There we go. That's a question. Um, uh, guilt, threat, manipulation. Any of those ring true? As, and do you see that connection and how those types of parenting strategies are really just dealing with surface level behavior? Yeah, I think, um, you know, our son is two, and, you know, at this point, we can force him to do whatever we'd like. I mean, in the sense that, you know, if he doesn't want to go somewhere, we can pick him up and take him to the other room. And he may be kicking and screaming, his heart may be defying us, but, you know, we're bigger than him, and so there's a lot, you know, we can we can mask over what uh, what's really going on in his heart. But, you know, like just the other day, he, he threw something on the ground when he was angry. And our, our daughter thought it was funny, and I thought, I said, you know, just wait, if he's 16 and he has that kind of an outburst, you know, it's not going to be funny. You know, those things, they, they can work, we can, maybe they seem efficient when children are little, they get things done quickly, and we can move on with our lives, but it's not really dealing with the heart. First Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, this is something we're going through in, you know, in our sermon series on First Samuel. It's a, a theme that's being developed through First Samuel, but it says, you know, remember that when David is, uh, Samuel's going to anoint David, he says, you know, man looks on outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. I know for me, a lot of times, you know, the apple nailing is, is because I'm more concerned about my kids' appearance and how, they're, how we're going to look as a family in front of other people. We want to behave well, and we just don't, maybe I don't take the time to actually deal with the heart. Now, I, I have a genuine question. Uh, I was like, ooh, when he, when he mentioned thread, and I was like, oh, do I do? Like, because there are times when ASAP is teetering on the line on the lines of discipline. And I genuinely mean it. Like I'm I'm just like, buddy, I don't want to have to do this You need to look at and but that's like I was like, is that a threat? I mean, it kind of is a threat. Like, hey, you're... But I was like, is that out of line? Is that... so? But I, I genuinely, like, wasn't sure whether that's, like, a, a form of, you know, affirmative right. coercion or just, like, yeah, a healthy warning that you're 
if you're going down the path that you don't want to go down. Right. Uh, so I don't know. Are yeah. you planning on following up on that? So if you say, yeah. like, this is your, you know, I don't know if people are going to change this. But yeah, like, yeah. Because the biggest threat would then be that, they, like, you wouldn't follow up on it, right? Like, or the intimidation of... Well, like, you don't know if you will or not. Right. Right. Or if it's inconsistent. Right. Johnny, what do you want to say? Yeah, I, mean, I had the same thought. I was thinking about that the whole time. Like, I don't think that's an unhealthy threat. And no parent is going to just grab their kid without any warning, pull them into the other room, spank them, and then send them on their way without telling them, hey, this is going to happen if you continue to do this, right. continue this behavior. So, yeah, I, I think as long as, like she's saying, you explain that to them after the fact. Yeah. It is a threat, but it's not. Well, and we can differentiate between a threat and a warning. Like, you know. Remember, God used prophets to warn people of their bad behavior. Israel over and over again failed, and God would send a prophet and say, If you don't change your ways. Right. And he followed through. Steve, you want to follow? Well, what we do, not this is what you should do. (laughs) (laughs) We offer choices. Like, hey, this is the behavior you're doing. Choose to continue to do this, this is the consequence. If you choose to do something different or this kind of behavior, this is the consequence, right? So spanking versus, or some kind of discipline versus non discipline. What we deal with, and what I have a huge question about is how do you deal with children at a young age saying, I don't know if I'm saved? Like we have our six year old now saying, I want to know the Lord, I, I, I want this, but how do I, the assurance? Like you're six, dude. Like, you're not going to have that assurance other than the desire for it. Yeah. And so, I, 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 anyways. Yeah. I mean, I think the gospel is the same to a six year old. I mean, in a sense, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. And, you know, the inner workings of his heart, he's, he's going to learn and develop as he gets older. But that same assurance, I mean, that same simple gospel, I guess, is. But that's a different topic, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. You want to add something, Ray? Yeah, well, I was just seeing. I was thinking about how um, you know, I forget what the verse, chapter verse, but um, because um, sentence is not carried out swiftly, the wicked, you know, abound. Right. Basically, uh, they, they, you know, and, and the prison system is like evidence of the fact that you can consequence the heck out of people and have it take no effect on their heart whatsoever. They no longer even fear the consequences. Like, uh, yeah. I mean, maybe if I, if, if, uh, I had to pick up rocks and stone the, the next guy that did stuff, uh, it, it would put that fear in my heart to do those sorts of things, you know, but it's, it's, not, it's not really that way, you know. Right. Um, and and I, I know from evidence... Uh, in my own home, that I can consequence and consequence and consequence, and, I, and I'm not changing a the heart thereby, you know, because I'm addressing the same again, the same issue again, because I haven't got the heart, you know. Right. And, um, so well, and to be clear, he's not, and he's going to talk more about this in the coming sessions. That he's not saying that we don't have consequences and we don't warn our children that we don't discipline them that we don't use the rod especially in the younger years to enforce authority but that those things by themselves without a focus on what's producing the behavior are not going to change the heart Um, part of the process that we do there's again my whole life is disciplined right now but we go through the whole process 
Like there's discipline and then reconciliation constantly. Mm-hmm. Like, well, well, this is why the consequence decrees. We ask Jesus to forgive us. Like, I, I'm saying this kind of like flippantly, but that's the process we go through. Right. So it, anyways. Yeah. I'm assuming he's going to get into what to do because this one was like what not to do. Uh, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you'll have to come back. Um, but, I mean, in pr- <laughs> Right. Yeah, he's right. I mean, at this point, I think he's trying to drive home the the main point that change, change, lasting change takes place in the heart. Uh, he put up there Proverbs four twenty three. Um, you know, guard your heart, for from it, you know, if it's from the heart that flow the wellsprings of life. So, um, which in a sense, well, it just makes it more difficult because you you don't have direct. It's not like a, a switch you can flip or a, a formula you can follow. Um, your tr- your children's heart. There's there's something that has to happen inside them that you can't do. That they're, you're dependent upon upon God to do. You know, we can. He talked, remember, you remember he talked about the law versus grace and how the law, it, what were the, the functions of the law? If you remember um, the things that he said that it, it can do for us? It reveals sin. It reveals sin. It can, to some measure, it can restrain sin. Like, we need to have structure in our home and there needs to be consequences. Whether or not there's heart change, you know, there needs to be consequences because we do need to maintain order in our homes. But what can it not do? It can't save you. It, um, you know, Paul called it a tutor to bring us to Christ. It, it can reveal our sinfulness, but it cannot, um, it cannot change the heart. What is, so what did he say is the process? You know, when we, you know, remembering that we're dealing with children that are spiritually blind. You know, practically speaking, when this happens, you know, there's an, you know, a selfish event. Uh, you know, your, your children's sin is put on display in a fight in the home. Um, how do you approach that in a way that tries to address the, the heart issues? I think for me, it's like I repeat to myself, like, I love because he loved me. And so when Taryn's like throwing a fit, and granted she's not too yet, so like her fits are still annoying, but manageable. Um, like my patience comes from him, or like my love comes from him. <clears throat> Because there's moments where I'm like, oh my god, stop. (laughs) Um, But, like, we love because he first loved us. And so, I'm constantly telling myself that when she's just constantly needing it. Um, Because my heart is the thing that's going to determine the example for hers. Yeah. Yeah, and just getting, I mean, kind of like what Steve was saying, but I think... You know, we've tried to work towards this, and it's, you know, with varying degrees of success, but, you know, the r- biblical response to sin is confession. You know, uh, acknowledging sin, confessing it to God and to the person you sinned against, and then turning from it. What do you do, though? How, do, how does that work out when your children are spiritually blind and they, and they, they can't see that? Yeah, I, I mean, like you said earlier, there needs to be a work of the Spirit that we can't directly do. But one thing I, we're even trying to do with ASAP now, two and a half, is calling attention to the fact that there's a vertical aspect to a sin, like David mm-hmm. says, you know, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So making sure he knows that when you sin against mommy and daddy and disobey, you're disobeying God. 
and God created you, and, and you know, so God has shown His grace to you, and, and when you sin, when you're mean to your sister, when you whatever it might be, you're sinning first against God, yeah, and uh, and that is it's evil, it's wicked, it's bad, and, and so not that that's going to illumine His in and of itself, but it's just calling attention to the fact that there's a vertical aspect to all of this sin. And that is at the heart. And then, you know, we can't love neighbor without loving God first. And so trying to at least orient his mind and heart in such a way to think, all of my disobedience is first against God. Hmm. Just trying to put that yeah. framework in. Well, yeah. That's why we do the process. And I'm not saying this. Like, this is all just fodder without the Lord. Really, I can't tell my kid, you know, he's going to love the Lord, right? But what, the process we go, it takes forever. But there's consequence, there's prayer, right? And then it's praying to God to forgive, and uh, depending on their age and how they can develop and how developed they are, right? It's confessing the sin to the guy, you know, I'm sorry, Lord, kind of thing. And then asking for forgiveness from the person I sinned against, mm-hmm. right? And then there's hugs and I love you to everyone, mm-hmm. right? And so it's just, but it, sometimes it feels, just, again, like father, like, uh, you know, it's like every minute I feel we're doing it. Yeah. Yeah, and that's, in a sense, I mean, we need to remember here, that's, we can't, well, we're really after something that we can't do. We can control how we respond and how we guide them through that process. And it may feel like we're repeating it over and over and over again, um, but what we're really after is the Lord to illumine their heart. Well, that's an example in the sense that, like, we should constantly be doing that for ourselves. Like, when I have an annoying thought, which happens all the time, I should be like, catch myself and go through that process. And so the fact that, like, you're doing it consistently, like, and I think consistency is the key to parenting, but, like, doing it consistently, like, with your kids, like, hopefully that's setting them up to be able to do that internally as they get older. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, go ahead, Ray. I want to throw out to you, you know, it's like at this point for me, it's um, um, acknowledging God's parenthood over me to my children in the moment when discipline is required, and acknowledging sometimes that the way I began to uh, address your issue, my love, my dear child was sinful of me and I need to repent of that and confess that that was wrong that was the wrong way to go about it it doesn't mean that what you did was right and I'm going to have to proceed forward with the discipline that's required in this moment but I have to do it in submission to my father the Lord yeah. you know, and, and modeling that and that process and it's hard and it's humbling and it's sometimes humiliating and, but you know I think that um, letting them see that I have an authority I have to answer to in these moments, especially, is what's what's important to them. Right. Yeah, and it takes more time. It's you know, especially when they're young, it can be very efficient just to, like you said, bark orders, announce punishments, and move on. This process takes more time, but I think that I mean, this is what we're called to do. We're you know, being parenting is not about efficiency. <laughs> you know, this to summarize the key points there. I don't think we've been had a great discussion. We I had some discussion questions, but. I think we've, uh, we're out of time. So you can discuss those. They're in your notebook. You can discuss them over lunch or come up and discuss them with me or someone else afterwards. Um, again, 
I'm reminded of this, of the ways that I've failed um, and continue to, to, just to struggle, but uh, remembering that our, the heart is what we're targeting throws us upon God's grace because there's not a, it's not a system that we can, a, a crank that you can turn and out comes a, a child that loves the Lord. We're, we're completely dependent upon Him. So praying for our children, praying for our own hearts that we would parent in a way that... Um, holds up the gospel, really, to our children. When, when they fail, when we fail, it's the gospel that they need, it's the gospel that we need. Uh, let me close us in prayer. Our Father in heaven, God, we thank you so much for your grace, uh, how we need your grace. We see our, our failure and our sin in the homes. We see the, the failures of our children and our spouses, and yet we're sometimes blind to our own sin, and yet, God, we are, we are sinners. We need your grace, and we thank you that... Through Christ, you've given us uh, power to change, that sin has been defeated, and that we can grow in obedience to you by your, the power of your Spirit. We pray for help to um, train up our children according to your word, to bring your law and your gospel into the conversations with our children, to, to show them their need for Christ. And we pray that our, our parenting and our homes will be places where he is held high and we pray for your Spirit's work in saving our children. In Jesus' name, amen.